Good morning, everybody. I'm so happy to be here. I'm glad that the pastor made that little mistake in almost having me do the special music. No. My greatest fear is that this little mic will turn on before time and you'll hear me sing. Not a pretty thing. Okay. So I am very thankful to be here this morning. I'm so thankful for Norman Alliance Church. absolutely love to call this my church home. I'm learning so much from our pastor. He is wonderful. Thanks for having me here today. I have a message for you this morning. If they'll bring up the PowerPoint, it's called Big Picture God. We serve a big picture God. Now, to start off my message, some of you in this room have known me from Christian schooling. Some of you know me from speaking different places. There are two things that Shelley Prindle really likes. Legos, math, yeah, that's a good one too. Legos and Abraham Lincoln. Legos adorn one of the coffee tables in my living room. I kid you not, it's my alternative to home interiors. I do like Legos. And I also, my favorite president, Abraham Lincoln. And so I have him here, Lego Lincoln. What about that? This is little Lego Lincoln, and he's here to open up the message for you guys. going to start with a quote from my favorite president. Here's what he said. Sir, my greatest concern is not that God is on our side. My greatest concern is to be on God's side. For God is always right. Amen? You got it, Abe. Okay, stand there with me here while I get into the message. Okay, big picture God comes from Isaiah chapter 25 and 26. Isaiah was a really neat prophet. He prophesied during a very difficult time in Israel's history. At this point, Israel was already divided into two kingdoms. We had Israel in the north and we had Judah in the south. Israel was involved in idolatry. They had forsaken their first love. They weren't serving God as they should. And God allowed the foreign nation of Assyria to come in and be used as a disciplinary agent for his people. Assyria began invading the northern kingdom and God allowed this to happen in the hopes that his people would return to him. Assyria started invading the northern kingdom before Isaiah was even born. And as he was a young man, he watched people be taken captive from the northern kingdom. As he grew older, he watched Assyria come into the southern kingdom of Judah and begin destroying 46 of the walled cities of Jerusalem, taking 200,000 people from Judah captive. And not until Isaiah was a very old man did he finally witness God stop Assyria at the very walls of Jerusalem. Now I say all that because context is important. Isaiah prophesied during a very difficult time in the history of Israel. He lived his entire life under the shadow. The shadow of the Assyrian invasion. He, I'm sure, in his humanness, could not make total sense out of what God was allowing to happen. And he lived under that shadow, and yet, without excuse, continued to proclaim that God is good, and that Jesus is coming, and that God has a plan that is bigger than our present difficulties. Amen? And that if you turn to him, you can trust in him. Isaiah prophesied under a shadow. And how many of us in this sanctuary this morning are living under shadows? We live under a national shadow of economic disruption, terrorism, and so many things. And in our lives as individuals, we live under the shadow of many difficulties and heartaches. Amen? This morning, we're going to be like Isaiah. 
and proclaim that despite what we see, we believe in a big picture God. He's got this thing under control. So if you would turn with me in your Bibles or look up up on the screen, we're going to begin in Isaiah chapter 25 and verse 1. Isaiah, in the midst of the shadows, stood up and proclaimed, O Lord, you are my God. I will exalt you. And exalt is a fancy word that means I will make you the biggest thing in my life. I know things are difficult. There's a lot of little things I could get distracted by. But but Isaiah said, God, I'm going to exalt you and make you the most important thing in my life. I will give thanks to your name despite what's going on around me. And that is the call for every Christian. We are to exalt Jesus Christ. Amen? No matter the difficulty. Isaiah said, why am I going to do this, God? Because I know you have worked wonders. Plans formed long ago with perfect faithfulness. It's very important where we stand as Christians to be able to look backward and say, God always keeps his word. Amen? And he's going to in the future. Isaiah said, when I look backwards, God, I know that you have worked wonders. Now, I'm just, you know, it's a little poetic license. I believe that one of the things Isaiah was referring to had to be the exodus of the Israelite people out of the land of Egypt. 800 years before Isaiah's lifetime, you remember God's people were not even really a nation yet. They were stuck in Egypt under the world power of that time with nothing but slavery as their future. Every child that was born to an Israelite was born into slavery to work hard labor for somebody else. And how many of you know in the Bible that's a picture of our slavery to sinfulness and fear? And when God's people cried out to him, Isaiah, I'm sure, as he's looking back at the nation as it now is, was looking back and thinking, God, you delivered us once. You can deliver us again. And no doubt he looked back to Exodus chapter 6, beginning at verse 6. When God came down to Moses, he heard the cries of his people. They were stuck. It was hopeless. There was nothing they could have done to get themselves out of the mess. God came down and he said to Moses, Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord. And I will bring you out from underneath the burdens of the Egyptians. And I will deliver you from slavery to them. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. And I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. Why? Because I am the Lord. It seemed hopeless at the time, but God came down through a prophet and he said, this is what you tell my people. The people didn't even really, if you read in verse 9, they didn't even really listen to what Moses said at the time because their spirits were so broken. Did that stop God? No. He came down and he did exactly what he said he was going to do. When it seemed impossible, with an outstretched arm and great acts of judgment against the Egyptian gods, God delivered his people, out of slavery. And it's a picture of what he does for every person in this sanctuary this morning. If you call out to him, he will deliver you from slavery to sinfulness, from wrong habits, from wrong patterns of thinking. God can deliver his people from anything. How does he do it? I love this. In the Old Testament, it's always a picture of what's to come, a picture of Jesus. Look at what it says. Way back in Exodus, God says, I'll deliver you with what? The outstretched arm. 
It was the outstretched arm of Jesus Christ that has delivered me from my sin. Amen? And God will deliver you right now as you sit in this sanctuary from whatever binds you by the outstretched arm of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary and His shed blood. God said, I'll deliver you by an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. And we read of those plagues in the Old Testament and we think, wow, God, you're amazing. But even more amazing than that is Colossians chapter 2, verse 15. You talk about judgment. Do you know what Jesus did when he died on that cross to the demonic powers and authorities that would try to take us? Colossians 2, 15. And having disarmed the powers and authorities... He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Hallelujah. Every demonic power, Satan himself was defeated in a great act of judgment when God came and died on that cross. Jesus died for our sins to set us free. And so Isaiah said, God, I'm going to trust in you. Because when I look backwards, I see that you have worked wonders. And when I look forward, I know that you will continue to keep your word because you are a what? A big picture God. Whether Isaiah looked back to what God had done in the past, for example, in the Exodus, or he looked forward. Isaiah chapter 43, verse 2, is a verse that we often quote. It's a famous scripture. And I don't know for sure that Isaiah understood exactly what God was having him to write when he penned these words in Isaiah 43, 2. He said, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you pass through the rivers, not if, when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, not if, when you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. Isaiah penned those words as he looked forward. And little did he know that after he died, 100 to about 120 years after Isaiah died, the southern kingdom was taken captive by Babylonia, and three young men counted on the promise of God. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in captivity believed in a big picture God. And when nasty King Nebuchadnezzar said, you must bow down and worship a false god, they said, we will not. Even if we die, we won't do it. And Nebuchadnezzar had them thrown into a big industrial furnace. And he heated it up so hot. And this is not a fairy tale. Kids in the room, this is history. He heated it up so hot that when those guards threw those boys into the furnace, they died on the spot from the heat. But nonetheless, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were tied up and thrown into that furnace. Into the what? The fire. Did they trust in God? Yes. Just because you're a Christian, does it mean you'll never go into the fire? No. You may go into the fire, but I want to tell you something. They weren't in there too long before big old King Nebuchadnezzar stood to his feet. And this may be a little Shelley Prindle paraphrase. And he said something like, didn't I tell you to throw three people in that furnace? And the guards said, yes, we did, sir. Yes, we did. And he said, then what in the world are four men doing walking around in the fire? The angel of the Lord was in there with them, and I personally believe that was the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ walking around in the furnace with them because He said, I will never leave you, I will never forsake you. I'm the same yesterday, today, and forever. And I just, 
I love that Nebuchadnezzar said, I see four men walking around in the fire. He didn't say, I see three guys in there and they're biting their fingernails. They're scared to death. They're getting really hot. He didn't say, I see four men in there and they're like crawling the walls, wondering what they're going to do. They're not screaming. What are they doing? They're walking around in the fire. Listen, even in the middle of the fire with Jesus, you can walk around in full assurance. And I don't know, someday when I'm with those guys, I'm going to ask them, what were you doing when you were walking around? What were you saying? But I have to believe that the freedom that the Bible is projecting there, it makes me think that they were walking around with Jesus in the furnace and their jaw was probably hanging down and they were saying, Jesus, you really did create the fire. You really are the maker of fire and earth and us. And because you made it, you're Lord over it. And here we are walking around in a fire that should burn us, but Jesus says, no, it won't. I made the fire. I'm in control. Hallelujah. And they did not burn. The Bible says when they came out, you know, in in the Gospel of Matthew, we read about this. God has the hairs on our head numbered. Not a hair on their head was singed. They didn't even smell like smoke. Why? Because they serve a big picture God. Doesn't mean you never go into the furnace. I sat with my nephews a couple weeks ago who I love with all my heart, Noah and Jake. I was telling them about this. And I looked Noah straight in the eyes and I said, Noah, I know you have to go in the furnace sometimes, but you won't be burned. Jesus is with you. Amen? He is with us. He is a God who works wonders. Plans formed long ago with perfect faithfulness. Whether we look back in the Scriptures or in our own lives or we project forward, we are assured our God is a big picture God. We must do what Abraham Lincoln said and be concerned that we are on His side. See, in our culture, we've gotten away from that. We've gotten to a place where we look for God to come and do for me what I think He ought to do. Work in my little life. Give me this. Give me that. Make it all what I think it should be. That's not the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible is a big picture God, and it's more about me fitting into His plan than Him fitting into my small ideas. Amen? Isaiah, when he said, Lord, you've worked wonders, plans formed long ago with perfect faithfulness, In the Hebrew, words were doubled for emphasis. And so if you look this up in the Hebrew, what he was essentially saying was, God, you have like these plans that are from the distant, distant past. And you keep them with faithfulness, faithfulness. You see, we forget because we're stuck in this time-space continuum. We're stuck in this universe. I realize the universe may not be a cube. But suffice it to say, we're stuck in space and time. God is not. God exists outside of time and space. He is transcendent. He is outside of this box that we're living in, and yet He is oh so in the box with us. He is transcendent and He is eminent. And because He is transcendent, He is able to keep His word no matter what. You see, God sees the whole picture. He sees all the little dots, all the little circumstances of life. And even when my puny little brain can't figure out why he's allowing something or why he isn't answering this prayer, I know one thing for sure. My God is connecting all the dots. 
It's just my perspective isn't big enough. Amen? So he said, God, you work with perfect faithfulness. Now, another thing that skews our thinking sometimes is that people so often let us down. I know I let people down often. Sometimes I don't even mean to, and I do. Amen? Don't let the response of human beings sway what you believe about God. He is altogether different. You know, it amazes me. We may give a promise to somebody, and something as simple as a cold virus can lay us on our back and stop us from fulfilling a promise. Amen? But Isaiah 40:28 says, Do you not know, have you not heard, the Lord, the everlasting God, is the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not grow tired or weary. God never runs out of energy, never gets sapped of strength, never gets laid out on his back. He is always going to be there for you. Somebody may call you up on the phone and say, oh, I'll be there during this difficult time. And then phone rings ten minutes later, I can't be there. My car broke down. Does God's car ever break down? Psalm 104, verse 3, one of my favorite verses in the Bible. I only have a couple. 104, verse 3. Here's what it, listen to this. This just amazes me because we're talking about water vapor here. It says, he lays the beams of his upper chambers in the water. He makes the clouds his chariot. He walks upon the wings of the wind. God can make water vapor a chariot to ride in. How many of you know nothing is going to stop God from getting to you? No matter where you find yourself, He's keeping His promise with faithfulness, faithfulness. Amen? You know, it's a weird world that we live in because of sinfulness. And sometimes I look at the news and I cannot believe what humans do to other humans. And how even within families, mothers, fathers, neglect, abuse their children. It's amazing. But our God is not unaware of that. And He is so sympathetic to it. Do you know what He said? He said in Isaiah 49:15, Can a woman forget her nursing child and have no compassion on the son of her womb? God said, yes. Even these may forget. But I will not forget you. God is altogether different. Even family can let us down, but God will keep his word with perfect faithfulness. We are sinners. We are by nature selfish. So I may not keep my word to you because of my sinfulness. And yet Deuteronomy 32, 4 says, He is the rock. His work is perfect. For all his ways are just. A God of faithfulness and without injustice, righteous and upright is he. God never sins. He never becomes selfish and lets you down. Amen? We need to be like Isaiah and say, God, I will lift up your name. Life is not making total sense to me. I'm stuck in this little circumstance of my own, but I serve a big picture God. Hallelujah. Then we're going to zip forward here to verses 6 through 8. I love this. Here's another thing I love about Isaiah. He frequently, in his book, will go from prophesying into the immediate future and their, you know, the Israelites' freedom from captivity, the remnant, remnant coming back, and then all of a sudden he'll zip into the first coming of Christ 
or he'll be prophesying way out to the second coming of Christ. And I love that because it fills us with so much hope. And here's what he did. He said, look, hold on to your seats, Christians. God is up to something big. And this is as much going to be historical fact as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego coming out of the fire. Isaiah looked forward to the second coming of Jesus Christ. How many of you in this room are waiting for that? Hey, we're, we're, we have a wrong way of thinking if we're not waiting for Jesus to come back. He looked into the second coming of Jesus Christ, and here's what he said. And I want to, be, want to emphasize this point for the young people in the room. God is the God of geography. Our God is over real life. And so Isaiah spoke about a real place. He was talking about Mount Zion, Mount Jerusalem over there in the Middle East. And this is what he said in 700 B.C. He said, one day, as sure as I'm standing here in front of you, the Lord of hosts will prepare a lavish banquet for all peoples on this very mountain. A banquet of aged wine, choice pieces with marrow, and refined aged wine. And on this mountain, he will swallow up the covering, which is over all peoples, even the veil, which is stretched over all nations. And the Lord God will swallow up death for all time. And he will, he will wipe the tears away from our eyes, and he will remove the reproach of his people from all the earth. Hallelujah. Now, I don't know about you, But as a type 1 insulin-dependent diabetic of almost 29 years, I can't wait for the wedding supper of the Lamb. I can't wait. And it will be one of the first times some of you will sit down with me and you won't see me with my little calculator figuring out my carbs, getting my insulin syringe ready, because I will eat in a perfect place with a perfect Savior. We are going to eat Together, And I want to emphasize this to people in the room. This scripture reminds us that heaven is not just a spiritual or ethereal dreamland. It is reality. We will eat in heaven and we will walk and we will be together and we will do things. And Isaiah said there's coming a day when we will sit down. And for me, it's not so much about the food. I told my Ascend class last week, don't be offended when you ask me over to lunch or dinner. Hopefully somebody does. But don't be offended when that happens, I said, because when I come over, I won't make a big deal about the food. I'm just not into that. You almost might get offended thinking, doesn't she think my food's good? It's because for me it's all about the fellowship. It's all about the people. I love to talk. I love to know people's hearts. And so here's the deal. One day, we are going to sit together. You can read it in Revelation 19. We're going to sit together, and we are literally going to eat good food, the best food, in fellowship, together, forever. With sin all past, problems all gone, separation completely removed in the new heavens and the new earth. It's what Jesus alluded to in Matthew 26:29 when he shared the Passover with his disciples right before his arrest and crucifixion. He looked at them and he said, "But I say unto you, I will not drink this fruit of the vine from now on until I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom." That kingdom is real. The Apostle John said in Revelation 11:15, 15, 
He said, then the seventh angel sounded, and I heard loud voices in heaven saying, the kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. It's coming, people. I know it's difficult to hold on, but it's coming. Our God is a big picture God. Stay on His side. Pray. Seek Him. Live for Him. Trust in Him. One day He's going to swallow up that veil that's over all nations. Paul talks about it in 1 Corinthians 13. He says, we kind of like see in a mirror dimly, but then we shall see face to face. All the misunderstanding will fall away. The separation from God will go away. And oh boy... He is going to swallow up death for all time. Some of us, depending on our age, depending on what we face in our bodies, are a little bit more drawn to this than others, but we all should be because death gets every single person. It almost seems in this world that death swallows us up. We live under its shadow our whole lifetime. And then one day, quite literally, the molecules of our body go somehow back to dust and the earth just what? Swallows us up. No fear, (laughs) because there's coming a day when God will swallow up death itself. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, 54, listen to what he said. When this perishable, when Shelley Prindle's perishable flesh has put on the imperishable, and this mortal has put on immortality, then the saying that's written in Isaiah will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. In Revelation chapter 20, verse 14, the Bible says, Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. All of hell and Satan, and everyone who chooses to follow that way, everything that reeks of sin and disruption between us and God will be thrown into that great abyss called the lake of fire, never to touch a Christian again. Hallelujah. He will swallow up death for all time. And he's going to to remove the reproach of his people from all the earth. We live under a type of reproach as Christians. Peter alluded to this in 2 Peter chapter 3 when he talked about the fact that there will be scoffers in the last days. People will scoff and say, where is this coming of Jesus that he promised? You know, he's been saying it for 2,000 years and he still hasn't come. Here you dumb old Christians are still waiting for some hope in Jesus Christ and you go through the same problems as everybody else and he hasn't come and rescued you yet. Shelly, you're an insulin-dependent diabetic. God hasn't healed you. Your family has problems. Kids suffer under divorces. Yet, you know, does the, does the sun and the rain shine and fall on the righteous and the unrighteous? And people look at us and say, you're crazy. You're living in the same world we are, hoping for some pie-in-the-sky deliverance. I'm hoping for deliverance, but it ain't no pie-in-the-sky. No offense to English people in the room, English teachers. I just use ain't for emphasis. It ain't no pie-in-the-sky thing. It's real. There is a day coming when God's going to remove the reproach of his people. And those who didn't believe and mocked us will stand back and say, you were right. Your God came through. He meant what he said. It all does make sense. He is faithful. Now this next verse, before I bring it up on the screen... 
I got to tell you how much it means to me personally. When I first started studying for this message and read this verse, I literally was praying in my house. I broke down. I started crying. God touched me with it so personally. Look, the enemy comes against us, and we neglect our fellowship with the Lord, and we get into this place sometimes where even we can hardly believe that that day is going to come. Do you ever get like that? There is a day coming when I am going to stand in the new heavens and the new earth, and this is what's going to happen. I will stand and I will look at my Jesus and I will say, Behold, this is the God for whom I have waited that he might save me. And now he is. Every answer is not here, my friends, but every answer is on the way. Faithfulness. We need to be faithful to Jesus because someday I will stand. Look what Isaiah said. He said, it will be said in that day. I know it doesn't feel like it to you right now. I know life is difficult. The pain is deep. But it will be said on that day. Behold, this is my God for whom I've waited, that he might save us. Let us now rejoice and be glad in his salvation because he has kept his word. Amen? So you hold on in the struggle. You keep reading the Word of God. Keep praying and seeking His face and fellowshipping with believers and knowing that God is a God of faithfulness, faithfulness. He is a big picture God. Now I know sometimes waiting can be difficult. And I love how God uses His own creation to teach us about Himself. Romans 1.20 tells us that the creation teaches us things about God's attributes. If you're in this room today and you're waiting on God and life is difficult and it all looks like it's just a big mess to you, hold on. Up on the screen is your hope for waiting. That's the end of my message. No. <laughs> okay, up on the screen there is a monarch caterpillar egg. And in real life it's about the size of a period at the end of a sentence in a magazine. And out of this tiny little egg will emerge a monarch caterpillar with his beautiful striped suit. Isn't he cute? And he'll crawl around and he'll feed on milkweed and other plants and he'll begin to grow as he looks for a place from which to hang his silk pad. And when he finally finds a place to hang that silk pad, he'll go to work, he'll spin the silk. He will shed his outer skin. See, a lot of people believe that the chrysalis is a cocoon. It's actually not a cocoon. That actually is the body of that caterpillar with his skin shed. And he will hang there and his body will begin to change in a way that, go and check it out, research it, scientists cannot totally wrap their minds around. They call it a mystery. It's a little bit of something they can't quite understand. Yeah. Unless you admit God, it's a mystery to you. But here's what happens. That little chrysalis, that monarch caterpillar will hang there, and this is incredible. The monarch caterpillar's own digestive juices, you know, like the acidic stomach you get, its body's own digestive juices 
begin to break down the caterpillar parts and organs into what scientists call a rich fluid medium. I'll tell you what it really is. It's goo. Okay? <laughs> I've seen it. That's their nice word. But here's what happens. I saw a first grade class poke a hole in one of these things. And let me tell you, it wasn't a pretty sight. And I won't go into details. But it is goo. It is an awful mess. If you were to take this chrysalis at the wrong moment, at a snapshot moment, and poke a hole in it, all that would drip out is a gooey mess. But what's happening is, in that goo, the basic imaginal cells are going to work under the direction of God. And this, this is where the mystery comes in. Okay, so caterpillar organs and body parts are broke down by digestive juices into goo. And then from the goo, little orange and black butterfly wings and antennae are formed. From caterpillar to goo to butterfly. How does it happen? Nobody quite knows, except for us. It's Jesus. He created them and he sustains them. But I want to tell you what this teaches us. As that begins to happen, that chrysalis will go from green to translucent. And when it begins to become clear, you know it's time for the monarch to come out. How in the world did that happen? It is God and it is a mystery to scientists because, listen, you may be hanging by what you think is a thread. And if you were to take a snapshot moment of your life right now, you would say, Shelly, this is just one big mess. No, it's not. My God is working a miracle in the mess. Give your mess to him. Just like you don't open up the chrysalis in one snapshot moment and think it's all hopeless. You don't open up your life and look at one particular moment and say, God must not be in control anymore. Yes, he is. He's working miracles in the goo. Amen? And one day, as it becomes more and more clear, as you become more like Jesus, it will become more and more clear what God is doing. And someday, our big picture God is going to remove the covering that is over all peoples, and we will see what He has done with the trials and tribulations of our lives as we stay faithful to Him. Hallelujah. Behold, this is my God for whom I have waited And while you're waiting, hang on to Lamentations chapter 3, verses 22 through 24. The Lord's loving kindnesses indeed never cease, for His compassions never fail. I looked that up in the Hebrew, and never fail there means never used up, never completely spent. I remember one day on a uh, Friday night, I was having a bad day. I was questioning a lot of things. And I got, don't tell pastor, I got angry at God. (laughs) Do you ever get angry at God? I was having a little fit of my own. Went to bed that night. I woke up the next morning. And by God's grace, I was going to have a prayer meeting with uh, Carol Sarber and Cindy Barnhart. I thought, what's this prayer meeting going to be like? I have a bad attitude today. But I said, God, have mercy on me. Your mercy is new every morning. We had one of the best prayer meetings I've ever had in my life. And I walked away and I thought, God, 
Your compassion, the Hebrew means it's never spent, it's never used up. So look, while you're waiting and you get frustrated, don't you turn away from God. You run back to God. Because God never reaches down in His pocket when you go to Him and say, I need some, I need some mercy, God. I need some love. I need some help. He never reaches down in His pocket and pulls up an empty pocket in His palm and says, look, sorry, you've used up all yours. It's spent. God never does that. His compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. And then verse 24, Jeremiah said, The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I have hope in him. You can only have hope in God when you can truly say, He is my portion. Jeremiah didn't say, Financial security is my portion, therefore I have hope. Did he? He didn't say, perfect health is my security, therefore I have hope. He didn't say, life being the way I want it to be is my lot, therefore I have hope. He said, the Lord is my portion. He is everything I need, therefore I have hope. I close with these last two verses, which when I talk about sharing this message, some people said, those are weird verses. They are a little strange at the surface. But what Isaiah was saying to us is this. He's saying, here's a picture of what happens when people try to deliver themselves. When we try to work it out on our own and save ourselves instead of trusting in a big picture God. Here's what, here's what the Bible says. Isaiah says, it's kind of like we were pregnant. We writhed in labor. But we gave birth, as it seems, only to wind. We could not accomplish deliverance for ourselves nor were inhabitants of the world born. In other words, when I try to deliver myself or produce hope on my own without God, what do I get? Nothing. It's futile. We could not accomplish deliverance for the earth. But, look at what he said, but God, your dead will live. Their corpses will rise. I want to tell you this morning... That only God can give life. Amen? He created the world out of nothing. And raise your hand if you had anything to do with your own conception and birth. You couldn't help being born, could you? Or not being born? Did you have anything to do with it? No, it's God who gives life. Only God can give life. So God gave to us human beings life. Now because of our own sinfulness, we are born physically with physical life. But our spiritual life gets drained right out of us because of sin. Amen? So in the world today, we have a ton of people walking around like night of the living dead. They're like biologically alive, physically walking around, but on the inside, they're spiritually dead. The spiritual life gets drained out of us because of sin. And so we come to a point where once we had spiritual life, now we have nothing. We're dead spiritually. That's what it means when Romans 6 says, for the wages of sin is what? Death. Now, sick people might be able to help themselves get better, but dead people can't do anything to help themselves. So when you are physically alive, but you are spiritually dead on the inside, what are you going to do? Because only God can give life. The situation would seem hopeless. Except for the God-man. 
Jesus is glad to be known as the God-man because only God can come and bring life back to a dead person. And so Jesus came 100% God, 100% man, so that he could stand in our place as a physical human being and give back to us life. Isn't that beautiful? And I want to emphasize this to you this morning. If you are a person in this room and you are physically alive, but spiritually you do not have relationship with God, you are dead on the inside because of sin, our Jesus came to this earth to give you life back. He stood in your place as a person, but being completely God is able to give life back. We had life. We lost life because of sin. God brings us back to life again. Hallelujah. And that is why Isaiah said, God, your dead will live. But he didn't stop there. He said, their corpses will rise. Paul said we'd be very hopeless as Christians if Jesus didn't rise from the dead. God made us his people. He gave us bodies. And when we walk the new heavens and the new earth, we're going to have a body. Our corpses are going to rise. I've told many people I've spoken to, I try to cut a deal with God. You know, I said, God, please don't let me die before the rapture. <laughs> I want to be raptured, not die. So, you know, chances are not any better that that's going to happen. But anyway, um, say that Shelley Prindle someday does die and you put my body in the ground and it starts to disintegrate into dust, my corpse is going to rise. Because Isaiah said, not only will your dead live, but their corpses will rise. I believe in 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 and 17. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ, those who have already died, their spirits are with the Lord, their bodies are still in the ground, the dead in Christ will rise first. And after that, we who are still left and alive will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we be with the Lord forever. This salvation is complete. We serve a big picture God. He saves your spirit from sin by the death of His Son, Jesus Christ, and His resurrection from the grave. He conquered all the powers of hell in doing so. And one day, this big picture God is going to redeem even our bodies, and we will walk and talk and eat and fellowship and love our Jesus together forever. So you hold on. Don't get stuck in that snapshot moment. Think of the monarch caterpillar going from caterpillar to goo to butterfly. Our God is a big picture God. He keeps his word with perfect faithfulness. Would you bow your heads with me?